the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome. You are listening to Hope and Faith Ministry, a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston, New England's oldest African-American church. Hope and Faith Ministry features the inspirational sermons of my father, Dr. Wesley Roberts, Senior Pastor at People's Baptist Church. We're so glad you're here. Dr. Roberts has a powerful message of hope and love for your life and mine. Now enjoy this broadcast of Hope and Faith Ministry, brought to you from People's Baptist Church of Boston. Today we are dealing with a topic. We are God's chosen people. We are God's chosen people. So you'll have to get a little bit deeper theologically into into what all that means. From the earliest days of Christianity, Christians have had to deal with situations that severely test their faith in Christ. This is not surprising, for Jesus, in some of his last words to his disciples, informed them that in the world they're going to have many trials and sorrows, but they should take heart because he has overcome the world. That is, he has everything under control. In the first three centuries of the, of the church's existence, persecution by the state saw hundreds, really thousands of Christians being martyred, that is, killed for their faith. This is why one of the church fathers, uh, Tertullian, said the, the blood of the, of the saints is the seed of the church because the more uh, the Christians were persecuted, the more they uh, increased in numbers until they were able to essentially take, take over their Roman em- empire through Constantine and his conversion. Now, according, well, what is happening to Christians around the world today is really heartrending. Even though you may, you may not be reading about this, I just want to share with you that according to Open Door, Doors, a minister focused on global persecution awareness. In the last year, the number of Christians experienced high levels of persecution rose to 245 million. During their most recent reporting period, Open Doors said that 4,136 Christians were killed in the last six months. 4,136 Christians were killed for their faith, which means an average of 11 Christians are martyred every day. Now, the 10 nations with the most extreme persecution of Christians are North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Sudan, Eritrea, Yemen, Iran, and India. All of the most of the top ones are Muslim countries. India is the Hebrew, is the um, Hindu uh, opposition to Christianity. 
Other countries with um, less persecution, but still persecution, uh, include Egypt. So the, they persecuted the Coptic Christians, uh, Vietnam, Turkey, Indonesia, Morocco, and the Palestinian territories. Thankfully, we live in a country where we can worship freely without fear of persecution. But let us not forget to pray for our Christian brothers and sisters around the world who are being persecuted because of their faith in Jesus Christ. God has not and will not abandon them. And therefore we, uh, as brothers and sisters, need to lift them up in prayer that um, somehow uh, the Lord will preserve them. And if he decides to take them via martyrdom, that's okay because they're going to be with him. The Apostle Peter, living in the first century, was very much aware of the persecution that was taking place in Asia Minor, that is modern Turkey. And God used him to write two letters of encouragement to those suffering believers. And in many ways, Peter could have written these two letters, First and Second Peter, to Christians living in 2019 under difficult circumstances. Now, Peter, as you are aware, did not have much education by the standards of, this, of his day, much less ours. But he wrote two important letters that have stood the test of time and have been a source of encouragement to generations of believers in their times of trials. So let us look more carefully at the first two verses of First Peter. Uh, there's so much here that I, I couldn't go beyond the first two verses. And there are three points that I want to make. First, according to Peter, we are God's elect. And so if you look at First um, Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 1 and 2, it reads, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, what did Peter have in mind when he addressed these persecuted believers as God's elect? He's saying that these Christians, though rejected and persecuted, have a special relationship to God. They have been personally chosen by him. They are God's elect, not God's rejects. Think of the, the thoughts that would have sprung up in the minds of these humble believers uh, to have the great apostle Peter, who walked with Jesus, call them God's elect or God's chosen ones. Those strangers and aliens uh, in the countries where they lived, they are known and loved by God who chose them. The wording or the world may see the Christian as a nobody, but Peter says that the Christian is somebody for the great God of the universe has chosen uh, us for to be his own. Therefore, nothing happens to his chosen ones except under his divine sovereignty. 
So even though there are people who are dying for their faith, God knew exactly what is going on, and he is going to use their sacrifice in order to be a blessing uh, to, to others. Satan does not run the universe. He may think he does, but all the issues of life are ultimately in God's hands and happens according to his foreknowledge, according to Peter. He wrote our names in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. Many people struggle with the concept of, of election, but it is clearly taught in the, in the scriptures. Just look at what Paul has to say in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. And in verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 1, furthermore, because of Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us from the beginning, and all things happen just as he decided long ago. And then in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, Paul says, As for us, we always thank God for you, dear brothers and sisters loved by the Lord. We are thankful that God chose you to be among the first to experience salvation, a salvation that came through the Spirit who makes you holy and by your belief in the truth. It is truly wonderful to think that way back in eternity, when only God existed, before the ages were, when there was no voice of an angel or a man, to break the eternal silence with a word of prayer or praise. That God saw me and he saw you, knew all about us, all that we would do in the, in the years um, after, after birth. He still chose us in order that we may be holy in Christ Jesus. And Paul says he chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. So you're your um, salvation is not an accident. It's something that God did before the foundation of the world, that you would be the recipient of his grace uh, in, the, in these um, times that we live. And Peter says, we were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. You see, God cho chose us not because he foresaw that we would be worthy of his choice, Rather, his choice, by his choice, he made us worthy. Before you and I were born, God knew us and loved us, and he chose us for himself. He determined to save us, and he did it by sending Jesus to die on the cross in order to uh, save us from our sins. And if you are saved today, it is because God determined to save you before the creation of the world. He knew what, was, what he was doing when he chose us and is not finished with us yet. He's still um, completing the work that, that he began before the foundation of the world. So whatever you may be going through right now, remember you belong to God. 
you are special. You are God's chosen. Being chosen should remind you that the Father is in charge of your life. It means that he will never abandon you and you can safely leave all of your affairs in his hands. Therefore, you don't have to fear trials and tribulations, hardships, illness, pain, and um, all the other things that can come our way. For your Heavenly Father, who chose you, is in control of whatever happens to you. You're not just in the universe by yourself. You have a God who is in charge of you when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and became a member of his family. God's almighty power is committed to protecting those he chooses to be the recipient of his grace and mercy. But the second thing that Peter mentioned is that we are strangers in the world. First Peter chapter 1 verse 1 says, To God's elect, strangers in the world. It's if Peter's first word of characterization describes a Christian's relationship to God, the second word describes a Christian's relation to the world. He refers to his readers as strangers, sometimes translated as aliens uh, or foreigners or sojourners, words with a distinctly Jewish flavor. All Jews living outside of Palestine were regarded as sojourners. No matter where they lived, their supreme allegiance was always to Jerusalem, and they considered themselves as aliens or sojourners when they were living elsewhere. Those Christians may have been living in those five providences of of, uh, Asia Minor, modern Turkey, but they were aliens and strangers there, foreigners, just as you and I are aliens and strangers living in the United States. You see, when we become Christians, our true country becomes heaven, where our Father lives and our King reigns supreme. This world is not our home. We are just passing through. Speaking of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the author of Hebrews said that they, li- they lived in tents because they were looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And then in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13, the writer says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. And in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, the Apostle Paul told the Philippian Christians, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So no matter where we live on this planet, as Christians, we are always aliens and strangers because our homeland is heaven. Now, that is the thought behind Jesus' statement that his true followers are in the world, but not of the world. 
We are strangers in the world precisely because we are chosen by God to, to be uh, his people and our allegiance is to him primarily. The only way to stop being a stranger in the world is to give up our allegiance to Christ and we can't do that. The world can tempt us but we will not go back. We have come too far to go back now. I'm sure most of us would rather be popular than persecuted. Uh, if given the choice, we'd rather be square pegs in round holes. We might like to give up being strangers in the world, but that would mean giving up the privilege of being God's chosen people. These two things will always be true of us. One, we will always be strangers in the world. And two, we will always be God's elect. Yet, you, can, you get the idea from the Apostle Peter that it is not easy to be a Christian in the world. And we can substantiate that from our experiences. Salvation has made us a stranger in the world for the little time that we are here, that God allows us to walk, walk on this planet. A Christian businessman explained what it means in this way. Quote, a lot of people cheat and I don't do it. They want something extra that I can't give them. Sure, I lose business, but that's the way it is. End of quote. That um, man is speaking about being a stranger in the world that he operates in. But let me clarify. It is not true that in the world everyone cheats, but in the world people cheat. It is not true that in the world everyone lies, but in the world people lie. It is not true that um, everyone in the world worships money. But the, there are lots of people, perhaps the majority of people, do worship money and make that the primary focus of their, of their journey here on earth. Amen. Nor am I saying that um, in the world, everyone lives for himself or herself. But in the world, people do that. There's a lot of selfishness going on. Where people are only thinking of themselves. They're, never th they're not thinking about others and about the, the God who called them to be witnesses to spread the news about the great salvation that uh, he has given to us. You see, the world of 2019, 2019, is a real world. And we are not apologizing for it. So the question is, what does this mean in practical terms? You see, if you are a, a businessman or a businesswoman and have decided as a Christian not to cheat, lie, or double-cross, if you have decided to deliver what you promise, you are a stranger in the world. If you are a worker on a job, big or small, full or part-time, blue or white-collar, and you have decided to do your work as unto the Lord, not pleasing men, but pleasing the Lord, then you are a stranger in the world. 
If you have decided that money will not be that money will not be the determining factor of your life, then you are a stranger in the world. If you are working in an office where coarse language, profanity, and loose talk are the accepted norm, and you have decided not to join in, you are a stranger in the world. If you come to a place where, in order to get ahead, you have to compromise uh, some of your Christian values, and you decide not to do it, get ready for trouble. And let me be the first to welcome you to the fraternal order of Christian strangers. It's not a question of isolation from the world. That's impossible and fruitless. It's a question of being in the world but not of the world. When people in the world view you and I, can they tell that we are strangers, that we're different? Or do we simply blend in? Do we dress differently from the people in the world? Do we talk differently? Are we accumulating more of the earthly goods and gadgets? Or are we investing in the kingdom of God? Do we fit in with everybody else? Or are we truly alien to those in the world and strangers to their ways? So Peter is here telling us first that we are God's elect and then that we are strangers in the world or foreigners, aliens. But the third thing that uh, Peter tells us is that we are chosen for obedience to Christ. We're chosen for obedience to Christ. Let's look at First Peter chapter 1, 1 and 2 again. He says, to God's elect, strangers in the world, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. So what is the purpose for which God chose us before the foundation of the world to be his children? Peter says, we have been chosen for one purpose only, to be obedient to Jesus Christ. The perfect example of obedience is Jesus himself. Time and time again, Jesus said he came to do the will of the Father. Hence, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he faced death on the cross, he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. In Philippians chapter 2, 8 and 5, really, um, 5 through 8, the Apostle Paul says, Your mind should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared, that's worthy, and appeared in human form. And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on the cross. And in in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8, 
the writer says. So even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, all those who obey him. His obedience is not mere outward compliance to requirements. It is inward from the heart. Jesus said, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. A mother repeatedly told her little son to sit down. The boy continued to stand, disobeying his mother. Finally, the mother went to him and plopped him down in the seat on the chair. Fuming, the little lad said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. It's a mere outward conformity to God's commandments is not obedience. Conformity because of fear of punishment is not obedience. Conformity in hope of some temporary gain is not obedience. Obedience is heart loyalty to God. We ought to do right because it is right. It is what God requires of us. Obedience to Christ is what the Christian life is all about. Notice the phrase, the sanctifying work of the Spirit in verse, in verse 2. Now these are very important words, and I'll just spend a few moments with, uh, with this. You see, the word sanctify means to be made holy. When a person accepts the sacrifice of Jesus Christ's payment for his or her sins, something really special happens. At the very moment that person, at at that very moment, that person becomes a child of God when he accepts Jesus as Savior and Lord. And uh, God sends his spirit to live in, in us so that we would Uh, be able to obey and to live the life that he wants us to live. In that instant, you become a citizen of heaven when you accepted Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has never left you. It is quite possible to grieve the Holy Spirit, and it is quite possible to quench the Holy Spirit, but he will not leave you. He will continue to live in you as a believer, to teach you, to guide you, and to convict you of sin when necessary. It is the Spirit of God that brings us to faith in Jesus Christ. It is the Spirit of God that cleans us up and makes us holy. It is the Spirit of God that renews us and gives us the new birth. And it is the Spirit of God that makes possible Uh, that is made possible by the work of Jesus uh, on the cross and by his resurrection from the grave. Let me repeat that. And it is this new birth that is made possible by the work of Jesus on the cross and by his resurrection from the grave. So note the order of our salvation. We have been chosen by God the Father, purchased by the Son, and set apart by the Holy Spirit. You see, it takes all three persons of the Godhead for us to experience 
what salvation is all about. He says, as far as, far as the Father is concerned, I was saved when he chose me in Christ before the foundation of the world. As far as the Son is concerned, I was saved when he died for me on Calvary's cross. But as far as the Holy Spirit is concerned, I was saved one night uh, in a Little Plymouth Brethren Assembly in, in Jamaica when I accepted uh, visibly and uh, audibly uh, Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord. You see, it is the Spirit, in the Spirit, that all uh, this came together. It took all three persons of the Godhead to bring us to salvation. Amen. What a great God we serve. Yes. The benefits and the blessings that we have available to us in Christ as Christians are beyond number and calculation. You see, we are saved by his grace, forgiven by his mercy, redeemed by his blood, accepted by his sacrifice, sanctified by his truth, comforted by his presence, strengthened by his promises, and sustained by his touch. It's a blessing to realize <clears throat> that because we are chosen uh, by the Father, redeemed by the Son, and made holy by the Holy Spirit, then no pain, there is no pain that God will not ease. There is no weakness that God will not strengthen. There is no fear that God will not calm. No burden that God will not lift. No tear that God will not dry. No sin that God will not forgive. No problem that God will not solve. And no prayer that God will not hear. How great is our God. And how blessed we are to be his chosen people. And we need to rejoice and give thanks every day of our life for the grace and the mercy of our God that has brought us out of sin's darkness into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 <clears throat>